I'm Blake Hargreaves, and this is Future Stops. You're hearing the sound of the pumps that power the pipe organ at Union Chapel in London, England, one of the few remaining hydraulic organs left that can be powered by the pressure of water and gravity, and it's located in a church with an outstanding music program. Today on Future Stops, we talk to the music director of the organ at Union Chapel, Claire M. Singer, about what this instrument means to her, how its unique features have influenced her composing, and the community she helped build in order to sustain it. You could say her long and profound relationship with the pipe organ happened by accident. Yeah, so I started playing uh, cello when I was seven years old in primary school, and that was my my first instrument. And then I started playing piano when I was 10. And then from the age of about 12, I started playing in bands with my my cello and also with the keyboards as well, and later with accordion. Um, And yeah, so I kind of... um, did the band stuff and also played an orchestra as well. So it was kind of covering quite a few different genres. And then um, it was, I went to Goldsmiths College uh, when I was 19 uh, to do an undergraduate in a Bachelor of Music, where I concentrated on composition uh, in the electronic music studios there. And it was actually during that time, um, I then went on to do my master's in composition at Goldsmiths as well. And that was when I was commissioned to write my first organ piece for the Sound Festival in Aberdeen in Scotland. And um, it was a, an organist called Roger Williams, who I, I've known most of my life. And it was actually his wife that taught me piano. And he asked me if I would write him an organ piece. And at that time, I was writing very experimental works in the studio. And I Kind of, I didn't really have that much, um, you know. I hadn't really played the, I'd never played the organ before. My, my, actually, my grandma, I played the organ, and my great grandma, but I didn't, you know, cello and piano was were my instruments. So, I said to him, I was like, "Oh, are you sure you want me to write you a piece?" Because um, I knew that I couldn't write this great classical organ piece for him. And um, he was like, yeah, come come and meet the organ and see what you think. So I went to Aberdeen and um, it was the organ at King's College in Aberdeen. And I just could not believe the breadth of sound that could come from the instrument. And what I was really interested in was the um, mechanical stop action of how you can, you know, slowly pull out a stop and control how much wind enters the pipe and that just completely fascinated me that whole sound world and you know it sounded almost kind of the same kind of timbre of sounds that I was working with in the studio um but that you could you could create it completely acoustically and so I was completely sold and I wrote that piece and um it was premiered at the sound festival and then since then I kind of felt like I knew a secret in that this was such a an amazing instrument and not many kind of experimental or contemporary composers were writing for organ, which kind of made sense because, you know, it's not an instrument that's always easily accessed and that you have to know someone with a key to a church or a concert hall. And um, you generally kind of can't just rock up and start playing an organ or working with the organ. So it was back then that I decided 
that I would love to create a festival around the organ um, to kind of try and promote how, you know, it was just such a wonderful instrument that could be incorporated into many different genres of music. And then um, in 2012, there was a job that came up at Union Chapel for music director because they had their organ, it was in the middle of being restored um, by the Heritage Lottery Fund and they were looking for a music director to come in and basically start an, uh, a program around the organ once it was fully restored. So I, um, I'd actually just, I started doing a PhD in composition and I felt like it wasn't really for me and it just didn't really feel like the right fit and that the masters kind of gave me everything that I needed to kind of go on my journey as a composer. Um, so I kind of stopped with the PhD and then this job came up and I went for it and um, I got it and then I basically had keys to this most beautiful organ and so I would basically sit every moment that I could and develop my own way of playing. So I've never had an organ lesson in my life, but, and I'm sure, you know, trained organists probably look at me and cringe about the way that I play, but um, I just really started exploring this whole mechanical stop control and, and that sound world. So it was um, it was not a straightforward journey, as I don't think anyone has a straightforward journey to get to where I am now. But um, it's been it's been super exciting and interesting. And still, my mom says to me, she's like, "Isn't it funny how you ended up being an organist?" Union Chapel stands in the same place in London where it did 200 years ago and functions today in the community as a congregational church, a social justice and assistance center, and a live venue considered by many to be the best in London. But like many churches, it has found itself vulnerable to closure in the past. It basically, I mean, there was at one point, um, it was basically at risk of being knocked down completely. Um, and that's when, you know, there was massive protests to, in order to save the building. Um, but we had, I think it's now 30, I think it's 30 years this year that we've been running shows at the chapel. And it was the minister's at the time idea to kind of, you know, make sure that we could keep the building open and also to share it with as many people as possible um, and so it started as a concert venue and since then has has gained such a, a huge reputation as being one of the best places to play acoustic music because usually we have kind of big acts that come to Union Chapel for a one-off special show um, where they'll play more an unplugged set because the acoustics are just superb um, and also the kind of um, the shape of the chapel also it feels very intimate even although you have eight to nine hundred people in there it feels like a very intimate place to, to play even when it's full um so 
yeah, when I, I when I joined, it was quite um, it was quite overwhelming because um, they had such a kind of strong following in in the venue side of it, which was great, and that I could kind of you know I had that already set up that I could kind of dip into, but because there had been no kind of regular um, organ concerts with um, the instrument, then I was basically starting from zero. And also, you know, there'd be no kind of education stuff around the organ prior to me being there. So it really was kind of starting from ground zero and building up. Um, but that also made it hugely exciting because it was a completely blank slate and I could kind of, you know, basically kind of execute any ideas that I had um, it, pretty easily. So um, I wanted to kind of run a, a concert strand and an education strand hand in hand. Um, and I also wanted to make sure that I was supporting composers because obviously I'm a composer and, you know, I, I still cherish that opportunity that I had to work with the organ when I was doing my master's. And I wanted to kind of create as many opportunities as I could to kind of share the instrument and, and extend the repertoire as much as possible. Um, so the education program kind of went from the age of seven right up to people and, you know, basically all ages. And so we had we run workshops for children around the organ in either acoustic composition, com computer music composition, um and the science of sound and then we also have workshops in creative writing and physical theater which is also around the organ because i i also kind of you know i understand that there's there's people don't have some people don't have a lot of experience with organ or when they think about the organ they they just think no i don't i don't want to i don't want to do that so i was trying to think about different ways into getting people involved with the organ. So not necessarily just through straight organ playing or composition, but also looking at it a bit differently and doing physical theater using the organ or, you know, talking doing creative writing. And so kids tend to come in from school and then they'll do um, like three or four workshops all in one morning. So every single child that comes into the chapel has a chance to actually sit on the bench and play the organ, um, but also gets kind of all these other activities thrown in at the same time. Um, and then we also have um, individual organ lessons. So we offer out um, organ lessons to um, 12 to 16 year olds and they are weekly during term time and then we also have a university series which kind of came as an inspiration from me doing my master's and that we work with um, composition students at master's or PhD level and then we we team them up with uh, an organist at the same level and um, get them to write new works for the organ and this results in a concert where they can record it to use for their portfolio for university. Um, so yeah so that's kind of like the education side of things. Along with encouraging and developing younger emerging talents on the organ at Union Chapel, Singer curates Organ Reframed, a festival of experimental music featuring the organ that provides accomplished composers an opportunity to bring new ideas to the instrument. Working with the London Contemporary Orchestra each year, Singer devises new instrument configurations with the organ for each commissioned work in the festival. And it's not just music. 
Singer also commissions sound artists to create installation pieces in the chapel that run during the festival each year. To date, Organ Reframed has commissioned 42 works through the festival, a further 31 through their university series, and 120 concerts across the genres through the organ program. This idea of an organ festival came to Singer long before she became music director at Union Chapel. Yeah, so Oregon Reframed, um, it was it stems back to when I wrote my first piece for Oregon in Aberdeen and wanting to start a festival. And so um, Oregon Reframed was born. So basically what happens with Oregon Reframed is I, I curate the festival. It was happening on an annual basis um, up till COVID. And um, basically I, I commission artists to write for the organ um, who perhaps have never done anything for the organ before, but just artists that I think that would kind of explore the instrument and create really interesting work. So the idea of the festival is to support the, the composers to actually come and spend time with the instrument and create an innovative piece of work, which, you know, it's hard to do if you're just, if you're asked to write for organ, you've got no access, then you you might not perhaps experiment as much as you would if you were sitting with the instrument because you don't know what that instrument can do. So it really is about encouraging artists to come and spend time and create the new work. And then these works are premiered at the festival every year. really interested in making the concert strand as open as possible so perhaps now people that are coming to organ reframed will come to a traditional organ recital or vice versa so it's about really kind of mixing those audiences um, and I think also once you get people in the door and listening to the organ especially with organ reframed I find that when I started that, I it took me a long time to figure out what to call the festival um, because I just thought if I put organ in the title, are some people going to be put off and think that it's a very kind of straight festival um, or, you know, should I not? And then I thought, well, no, I should. Um, and I remember I was actually, I went to a summer fair and I was handing out flyers for Organ Reframed. And I was saying like, um, or a experimental organ festival and like trying to hand them out. And I, people were not taking the flyers. And no, I, that was, I said organ festival. I didn't say experimental and they weren't taking the flyers. And so then I just started saying experimental music festival. And then people started taking the flyers. So it kind of like showed that there was some kind of idea about the organ that kind of put people off coming. But if you frame it in a different way, then they come and then they would be so surprised that the organ can can do this, you know, and it can it can be incorporated into this kind of writing style. And, you know, I, I often kind of in simple terms sometimes say that it can be thought of as the world's first synthesizer and that it can be incorporated into many different genres and to not think of it as a straight classical instrument or a church instrument, you know, it's it's got a lot more breadth to it. And that's what I'm trying to show with Organ Reframed. Another way Singer shows us the many possibilities of the pipe organ is through her own music. 
She has developed a compositional style nurtured on the organ at Union Chapel and shaped by the unique characteristics of this special instrument. Well, of course, that is a massive perk to the job and that I, I have an organ that I can write on and that I know um, extremely well. Um, and so I feel very, very lucky to to have that opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I do most of my writing on uh, the Henry Willis at Union Chapel. Um, sometimes with commissions, then sometimes commissions are for specific organs and that that is also i think like it's a necess- necessity for me because obviously the the organ at union chapel is of a particular style and um it has a particular sound and you know i don't want all of my pieces to have that specific sound so it's really exciting to to work with other organs but um in terms of of practicing and kind of getting down sketches then it's it's a wonderful you know opportunity that I have to be able to go there whenever I like and and write and it's it's so nice being in that building by yourself and I usually just have all the lights off and just the one light on at the console and um you can just get lost for hours and hours with the organ and yeah it's a really I feel very fortunate that I have that The, the the more I play other organs, the real I, the more I realize how kind of just smooth our, um, the organ at Union Chapel is. So, a lot of organists refer to the organ at Union Chapel as the Rolls Royce of organs or the grandfather of organs, um, because to touch um, and also in the sound, it's just very a very very smooth instrument. Um, so there's no there's no harshness whatsoever. Um, it's like um, the perfect English gentleman. It's like how I like to describe the instrument. Whereas you know I love working in Amsterdam with organs there, like um, and and you get a very different quality, um, a kind of like spiky. I mean, even the organ that I've I've worked with at the Queen Elizabeth Hall, which is a small flanchop organ, and I I refer to it as the the Dutch punk because it's got this really kind of spiky, quirky quality to it. And now I could never, you know, in terms of writing new music, when I'm writing on the organ at Union Chapel, then um, they tend to be very kind of smooth, linear pieces whereas if I'm working with the the flanchop organ then um for sure you you kind of you embrace the qualities of that organ in your writing and kind of um I'm always looking for the different quirks of each instrument and really kind of showing them to the best that I can to kind of um you know showcase that that organ and show the interesting parts of it and I think also when I when I approach the organ because I'm not a trained organist and I'm coming to it more as a as a sound source as opposed to an instrument, um, probably from my kind of more experimental background of working in the electronic music studios as well as more that, you know, not looking at the instrument conventionally, but looking at what interesting sound can I create from this, whether, you know, it might be seen traditionally as right or wrong, what what is interesting to me, and then really working with those sounds. 
So what I do is, um, because I, I need to kind of, um, like I, I precisely control how much wind goes into the pipe um, during a piece. And it's really hard to do that um, with one hand sometimes. I mean, I do when I'm playing like a melody, but then I also, I think it probably comes from my my background of, of growing up in Scotland and listening to pipe music and that, um, I always kind of have drones that are held throughout my pieces and um, in order to kind of keep those notes down I hold down the key and then slip a chopstick down so it keeps those notes down whilst then I can kind of um, pay attention to what I'm doing on the stops. So it's purely kind of a, a technique just to keep notes down and so I can free my hands to do other, other things you might see me complete like hands off the keyboards and playing two stops at the same time. So really kind of moving those stops as slow as possible. So yeah, sometimes my hands are completely off the keyboard or sometimes, you know, I'll be using my left hand to play a melody whilst I'm using my right hand to control how much wind is going through the pipes. Yeah, the Mullen Diner was actually commissioned by a project set up by Civic Room in Glasgow, Scotland, called the Mullen Diner Project. And basically, it's a it's a burn or a stream that is running through Glasgow that used to be seen, but now it's completely hidden underground. So they chose different sites across Glasgow to have different arts projects going on, and one was Glasgow Cathedral. And so that's where the, the name of the piece came from, because I was commissioned to write a piece for that project. Um, and it's called the Mullen Diner Burn that runs through Glasgow. Um, but I actually, I developed the piece over... Well, probably um, near enough a year because it's quite an epic 25 minute long piece. And so it just involved a lot of exploration of me working on the organ at Union Chapel and using the technique that I had been developing of holding down notes with chopsticks and really exploring to a great degree that, that control of the wind through each pipe um, using the mechanical stop action. And so that's what you hear from, from the very first moment to the end of me continually kind of manipulating the stops to create all of these beating patterns of the different pitches beating against each other and really kind of exploring that over the 25 minutes. was written for this project so I definitely had kind of the Mullen Diner burn of Glasgow in mind whilst I was writing it and of course the kind of manipulation of the stops is very fluid and constantly changing like <clears throat> you would find in the burn so I think there's definitely some representation even if it wasn't always conscious you know I think that once you kind of know about the project the commission the piece then you know more things makes sense. So um, definitely the fluidity of the piece, um, I think, kind of represents the idea of the commission.
Um, but it very much started from, you know, me just sitting down at the organ and, and doing several sessions of improvisation, slowly just kind of, you know, recording each time I improvise over time and then slowly piecing it together into a scored work. I think that kind of stems from me being in bands from an early age and, and very much the way that I wrote with my, my band members was improvisation. And that is very much how I still write. So I, I, I kind of rely on recording each of my sessions and listening back. And always at the end of the day, my pieces are completely scored. I mean, another you know musician wouldn't be able to understand my score. It's, it's very much written for me because most of it is in my head but then you know I have obviously guide guides on paper so I don't kind of forget where I'm going the only kind of improvisational part of the piece at the end of the day is obviously the manipulation of the stops because I don't you know score pull it out this amount or you know it's very much dependent on my ear and and the way that I am wanting it to sound. And, and that, of course, differs between each organ as well.
You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. My name is Blake Hargreaves, and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard today's feature piece, an excerpt of the Molin Diner, recorded at Union Chapel and released on Claire M. Singer's album, Solace. As a composer, having access to a pipe organ allows Singer to experiment and flourish in ways she otherwise could not have, and it's her goal to offer this same opportunity to artists of all backgrounds to help reimagine a future for the instrument. I think a lot of people's experience with the organ having talked to many people about it is that their only experience with the instrument is going to a wedding or a funeral and hearing the organ or you know in some cases you know people have been going to classical events and um, so they're a bit more open-minded but a, a lot of people have only had the experience of going to a wedding or a funeral so they don't then make that connection of the organ being something more than that um but i think you know i think that is changing and i think there's a lot of there's a lot more artists now that are kind of showcasing it and and showing that it can be you know it's not a church instrument um and i think that will continue to grow for sure and that's what I was saying earlier about the fact that there isn't so much access for composers and so I'm trying to create that access because the organ should not suffer because it's it's locked in a building you know every other instrument is is kind of progressing with the times and I think it's it's very important that the organ continues to do so as well so we should be embracing what has come before but we should also be supporting that journey Um, to go further. Many churches are under threat, and with them go the organs built by their congregations. When one of these instruments is lost, it is not only a cultural loss of historic value, but it is also the loss of access to the incredible instrument, which is so devastating in the long run. Claire M. Singer never studied the organ, but because of access, she has been able to become a composer for the instrument and to offer the opportunity for other composers to have access to the instrument and try their hand at writing for it. It seems that the flexibility of this church, Union Chapel, in hosting live music of all sorts several nights a week, social services, and a comprehensive music program alongside its religious offerings, has succeeded in making a large and lasting impact in its community and in the music community at large, with the added benefit of keeping the church operating and preserving a historic instrument. It's an inspiring story that many in the church community who are looking at diminishing attendance and revenues should look at closely. We'd like to thank Claire M. Singer for joining us on Future Stops. If you'd like to hear more of the selections we played today, recorded on this rare and historic pipe organ, head to our Facebook and Instagram accounts for links to her albums and further info about Union Chapel. And if you're not subscribed to the Future Stops podcast and social accounts already, get on board. We are building a Future Stops nation, so please join us in making that a reality. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists, produced by Andrew O'Connor with Haley Raymond as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves. Thanks for listening.